Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to the book of Philippians. We are continuing our To Live series. <clears throat> what, what's really exciting is all of the worship songs this morning, uh, even though Jay and I don't always coordinate real well, um, as far as during the week, it, God always blesses us with worship songs that coordinate really well with what we're going to be talking about. And that's just the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. Uh, I like to watch the Holy Spirit work in our other leaders. And so, Jay, thank you for being submissive, for listening to the Spirit's voice, and for uh, preparing songs for us that really bring us into where we need to be. To, to realize the book of Philippians was just written with this focus of Paul's that he shares with all of us as believers, that for all of us to live, or the, the zane, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we are to have this lifestyle that is Christ-edifying, Christ-glorifying, Christ-focused, and understand that the joy of such a life is that when we enter into eternity, it gets even better. And so not only do we get this beautiful life lived for Christ, but we have an eternity in which we will be rewarded and blessed as we walk with Him even now. And then we're challenged, along with the Philippian church in chapter 1, in the beginning of verse 27, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That last song celebrating that we're children and, 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 and children of God, that, that we are, there's always a place for us in his house, that, that we have a new identity, we have a purpose. That what Paul is kind of saying here is, you're children of God, now live like it. There's something different about you. You belong differently. And now it's time for you to live like that's true because it is. So live a life worthy of the gospel. And that kind of brings us, those concepts bring us back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 3. Now, I told you last week when we read Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3, that last week's sermon was only part one. So this is part two. We're going to finish this passage out. So if you have your Bibles, we are looking once again at these three verses. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says this, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard to you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boasting in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So once again, these, these, this little short passage, these three simple verses... Last week, we spent a long sermon just talking about the first two of them, and, and today we're going to wrap up and look at the third verse. So Paul is telling us and encouraging us, after telling us the importance of living lives of unity and glory to Christ like Epaphroditus and Timothy, that we are supposed to, in addition to these lives of unity and lives worthy of the gospel, we're supposed to be practicing rejoicing in the Lord. 
And to rejoice in the Lord is this attitude of thankfulness, this attitude of finding the good even in the midst of strife and struggle. And I know that you all don't have lives where everything is perfect. How do I know that? Because you're human and I'm human and we share this common thing where life is difficult. Even when things are good, there are things that struggle or or that bring struggle, that bring strife. It seems the more I have, the more I have to worry about, right? And when I don't have, then I'm hungry or I'm naked or I'm thirsty. And and so there's always something to be of, of concern. And yet, even in these struggles, we're supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord. In other words, finding the opportunity to be thankful for and to be even happy about what he has already blessed us with, even in the midst of trials and troubles. And Paul writes to the church and says, to write to you again about this is no trouble. In other words, I'm going to continue to teach you and give you sound doctrine because sound doctrine and good, faithful, biblical teaching are a safeguard, a bulwark, a castle for you to live in. And so you need to listen to sound teaching and you need to apply it to your life. And here's what he tells us. He warns us to watch out for the dogs, to watch out for the evil workers, to watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And if you remember, specifically he was addressing people who were Jewish in their origins, who had gotten saved, coming into the church of Philippi and saying to the Gentile believers there, hey, you've got to follow all the Jewish rules before you can be a good Christian. And Paul says, that's nonsense. In fact, he calls them dogs, evil workers, mutilators of the flesh. And so he rejects the notion that good works are necessary to be saved. In other words, salvation comes by grace, through faith, through Christ Jesus alone, a gift of God. And these people who are telling you, you have to do things according to the old law in order to be saved are dogs, evil workers, and mutilators of the beautiful gift of God's, uh, that God has given you, your flesh, your body. And these false teachers the, it is essentially telling us that they roam the streets looking for people to prey upon. They do evil, proclaiming to be Christian, but not. And they heap unnecessary and unbiblical burdens upon believers. Now, we gave that specific example that there was what Paul was confronting, but in our own lives, we have teachers who are trying to lead us astray and teachers who are trying to add to or take away from the gospel who would pile burdens on top of us, telling us we have to have the right haircuts or the right ties or the right dresses or something of that nature in order to be saved or that our lives need to be perfect or carry the right kind of Bible in order to genuinely be saved. But the truth is that it's by grace through faith, and so we have to be careful and on watch for these false teachers. So this kind of gives us, gets us back to the, the summary of the first couple of verses, but let's look a little more closely once again at verse 3. So Paul says this to the church. He says, For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. Now, we kind of read this and go, that's not very clear what he means by that. Uh, this is not a, a phrase that many of us would want on a t-shirt. Uh, you know, can you imagine that? For we are the circumcision. I was thinking about t-shirts and mugs. Um, you, you, wouldn't people ask? I, I mean, you, you could wear that t-shirt and people would be like, what are you talking about? Well, it's actually my church. No thanks. 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Not interested. What, what Paul is, is really talking about, he, he wants us to understand that there are people in the church in Philippi and people even in the church today are telling us we have to do certain things in order to be saved. We have to, have to attend church perfectly or have to be baptized to be saved or have to whatever, whatever thing you would add to the gospel and say it's necessary for salvation is wrong. It is a lie. Now those things, some of them should flow out of a saved life, but they are not necessary for salvation. Paul actually is saying to the, the church in Philippi and to all of us, the work is already complete in us. The work that needed to be done for salvation is fulfilled. And it was done by the hand of God upon our hearts. That, that we don't have to live up to some sort of physical standard in order to try and earn our salvation. Instead, what we must understand is that our salvation has already happened. Our hearts are made pure. We are brought to God through Christ Jesus. And we are, we are the ones who are with God. We are His people. We, we don't have to do anything because it's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says this, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Paul says that genuine circumcision doesn't happen as a physical act with a flint knife. It happens in our hearts. And it is the person who is circumcised by the power of the Spirit in their heart. In other words, something has been removed and they are renewed in their relationship with God. The old man is gone. The old way of living has been cut off. And now we are brought into right relationship with God by our faith in Christ Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So when Paul says to the Philippian church, we are the circumcision, he's actually saying something that is exciting. And, and, and he actually, in, in, in Colossians, draws a, a parallel to baptism. He says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting uh, off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the working, through faith in the working of God. Sorry, I still haven't put the new TV up in the back, and the black letters disappear into the half of the TV in the back that doesn't work. So that's why I either have to turn around or make mistakes. So I'm going to turn around. I don't want you thinking I'm like a dissing you or anything, making you... I don't even like you people. But in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. In other words, there's this picture of baptism where we are dead to the old way of life. It's cut off from us, circumcised from us, and we are raised up into brand new life in Christ Jesus. So our uncircumcised flesh, 
Our death in sin is cut off and we are brought to life in Jesus. Now, I don't want to get too crash, right, using that concept of cut off. But those who understand what circumcision is, you get that something is removed when we are saved. And that thing that is removed, that thing that is cut off, the circumcision that occurs is that the old way of life is gone. And we are made new in Christ Jesus. Baptism is a beautiful picture of it, of death to self, burial and then resurrection to a new way of life. And so when Paul says we are the circumcision, he's not talking about a physical act. He's saying that each and every one of us who have made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus, we are a new person with a brand new identity. The old way of life has been cut off and cast aside by the work of the Spirit within us And we are no longer what we used to be. We are no longer caught up and captive to sin and death and destruction. But by faith in Christ Jesus, by the grace of God, we are raised up to a brand new way of life. And we're no longer captive to those old things. I had a little bit of a moment this last week. Shelly and I had the privilege of going to the school that we attended, uh, Liberty University, and spending a couple of days there on this VIP pastor's retreat. And you might wonder how, yeah, that's right. You might wonder, Michael, how did you get on a VIP retreat? I signed up for it. That's it. It was announced. I signed up for it. Uh, they, they have a very low bar of uh, admittance at Liberty. How do you get to be a VIP at Liberty? You pay a little bit of money or you sign up. You stand in a line. I mean, just, right? The, 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 anyway, uh, great school. Love it. But, but, uh, while I was there, I was hanging out with other pastors and professors and, and good teaching and preaching. And man, I just had this moment. A lot of times, uh, for those of you who think maybe that I'm like this out there kind of guy, that's not true. I love to teach and preach, but I'm actually in my private life, especially very much an introvert. Uh, I would prefer to be alone. Uh, most of my college career, I sat alone at the lunch table and I was perfectly fine with that. Uh, I, I thrive in solitude. Uh, and so just because I am able to stand up here every week and preach doesn't mean that I am like some of the pastors maybe you've met previously in your life. The guys who walk into the room and, hey, how are you? I love you. Bless you. Praise God. You know, I just, ah, I can't do that. But also the truth is, is that sometimes I use the fact that I'm an introvert who struggles a little bit with ADHD I used it as an excuse to be less than what God would have me to be. I used it as an excuse to, to curl up and hide, to withdraw, to, to not build relationships because I struggle with them. And, and it, this truth that I am a new person with a brand new identity really struck me this week. That I am no longer subject to the things that I used to define myself as. Now, that is not a statement of condemnation for anyone. Don't hear me condemning you for who you are. Instead, hear me being convicted about my life and about how sometimes I fail to live in this new identity. I maybe need a a t-shirt that says, I am the circumcision. Now, 
Probably not. <laughs> but still, the, the old way of life has been cut off. I'm redefined. I'm renewed. Now, that doesn't mean I won't still thrive in solitude. But what it does mean is when I come to a situation and God says by his spirit, Michael, do, my answer is not, no, I'm an introvert, God. It is, whatever you say, I'll do. Give me the power because I'm a new person in you. I have a brand new identity. And, and, and you do too if you are in Christ. You have a new identity if you are in Christ. The old has been cut off and thrown away and the new has been born because of your profession of faith in Christ Jesus. Your baptism, if you've been baptized, is a symbol of that. If you've not been baptized, it's important for you to participate in that. That is one of the first two or the first, first acts of obedience that we get to, to follow Christ Jesus in is our baptism. So I'm, I'm happy to run water anytime anybody is looking to be baptized and follow after their Savior in that act of obedience. So if we are new people with new identities, and we are, then what should we look like? We're not supposed to look like those false teachers who say you have to live this way to be saved. We reject that outright, but we know that there is something different about us because we are saved, and so our living should be affected. And Paul says this, we are saved. We are new people. We are the circumcision. We are the people of God who do three things. We worship by the Spirit of God. We boast in Christ Jesus, and we do not put confidence in the flesh. We worship, we boast, and we put our trust in the right place. And so if we are brand new people, our identity will be marked by these three things. Number one, enthusiastic worship. And I I chose the word enthusiastic for a reason. Because a lot of times we'll do rote worship. A lot of times we'll sing songs, we'll sing praises, we'll declare the glory of God, and we'll do it in such a way that it's kind of like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right? I mean, and, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who's guilty of that. Maybe I'm the only one who's guilty of simply reading the words on the screen and mouthing them quietly, but not really thinking about them. I mean, that last song, Child of God stuff, I mean, it just, it, it, some of the words just, just pounded me this morning as I, as I didn't just sing them out of, out of compulsion, but instead I, I read them, I processed them, and I sang them, and I was excited by what I was singing. That we should be singing enthusiastically, but we should be above and beyond that, worshiping enthusiastically. And that means in every aspect of life, declaring that God is worthy, that He alone is to be praised, that He alone is in charge. That's what worship means. Did you know that? Worship doesn't mean sing a song. Let's gather together and and join together in in worship. No, it's not about just singing songs. It is about ascribing value to God in every aspect of life. 
declaring that he is more valuable than anything else. And so sometimes that involves singing songs. Sometimes that involves prayer. Sometimes that involves devotions. Sometimes that involves being faithful to your spouse because God's word says to do it and you declare he and his word to be of value and so you will live in accordance with them. It means training up your children to walk in Christ's likeness and doing it lovingly, not in a way that angers them, but in a way that builds them up. It means watching what you say. It means being a good boss. It means being a good employee. Enthusiastic worship is to say that in everything we are and do, we declare the value of God. We say, He is worth more than everything else, and so I will do it according to His standards. John 4, 23, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and there was some argument about where you should worship. And Jesus says this, You guys worship there, the Jews worship in Jerusalem, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. Your Father, the one who saved you by the blood of Christ, the one who cut off from you the old way of life and made you a new creation, He wants you to worship Him. In spirit and truth, meaning it's not dependent upon where you are at the moment, it is in every moment to declare him to be worthy in song, in practice, in speech, in behavior, worshiping him wholeheartedly. Psalm 150. If you've got your Bible, uh, you can open it up to Psalm 150. Kind of stick your finger back there in Philippians. We, we're going to come back to Philippians 3.3 3 and, and, and spend more time on that one verse. But here is this beautiful psalm. Psalm 150 says this. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. And, and a lot of us, we just kind of stop reading there. Okay, I'll come once a week, 20 minutes. I'll praise God in His sanctuary. And then it says this, though. It says, praise Him in His mighty expanse. Where is that? Everywhere. Everywhere we are. Praise Him in His sanctuary, but praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Praise Him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Interesting, cymbals are mentioned twice. Uh, I, I don't see Josh. I think Josh likes to sit downstairs and sip coffee during the sermon and watch on the television. And so, Josh, thanks for the symbols this morning. Uh, throw them down double hard uh, on the last song of the day because clearly we're supposed to use a lot of symbols. Um, but, but you see, there is clearly a musical, a, a singing aspect to the practice of worship, but you don't always have an, a band with you. And so everywhere you are, we're supposed to be singing the praises of God. And then the question is, well, who's supposed to sing God's praises? Verse 6, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Are you included in this list of those who should be enthusiastic worshipers? I want you just to pause a moment and do this for me. Those of you who've had COVID, you realize what a privilege that is, right? Those of you with other breathing issues, you understand. Do you have breath? You should be an enthusiastic enthusiastic worshiper of God. Have you been saved by the power of the blood of Christ Jesus and your profession of faith upon Him? You should be singing the praises of God. We should be enthusiastically worshiping. Now, enthusiastic worship will look different for all of us. Some of us, it's like this or this or, you know, this. I mean, just we get everything we can in the air. And for some of you, it might be kind of this. And, and, and if that's, that's your enthusiasm, be enthused. Give it all. Some of us, sitting down is just as enthusiastic as standing up. Others of us, if we were to be honest with our enthusiasm, we should be lying flat on our face before God a little bit more often. And guess what? If someone in the church were to dance, were to lie down, were to come to the altar and kneel, any of those, you know what we should be doing when somebody behaves like that in worship? Rejoicing. Encouraging them to worship enthusiastically. Now, there are things that are not worship. Barking. Things that we've seen on television. Some of those things are about glorifying man and not glorifying God. But any act that we see in Scripture that is about worshiping God, especially something like in Psalm 50, that we're, we're supposed to be praising God wherever we are. We're supposed to be lifting up His powerful acts. We're supposed to be just declaring His abundant greatness. We should, we should be rejoicing when there's shofars and cymbals and, and guitars and drums. And if people are dancing and rejoicing, we should be excited and encourage one another in these things. Because this is one of the proofs of a new person. Enthusiastic worship. Enthusiastic worship. So I want to encourage you, no matter your personality, over the coming days and weeks and months, and even as we close later in the service with the last song, seek to be an enthusiastic worshiper of God in those easier moments. And then seek to take those moments out into your everyday life. Worship Him under His mighty expanse with the breath that you've been given because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And a new person with a new identity that's marked by first enthusiastic worship will also be marked by proper boasting. It's funny, we love to talk about ourselves. We love to talk about the things that have happened to us. We love to talk about the things that we've earned or been given, don't we? We, I mean, it's just so fun to tell other people how great we are. It's so enjoyable when somebody will actually listen to you talk about the things that are important to you. I love when my wife will sit and listen to me talk about Star Wars. That's exciting, right? I don't deserve that. I don't, and she doesn't really like it. 
But I'll tell her about it. I mean, it, never mind. I don't want to spoil anything. But, you know, there were, just, there were characters in one of the recent episodes of Book of Boba Fett. And, and, and they're, they're characters from, like, like, like old school Star Wars stuff and, and Clone Wars cartoon. And it was just like, oh! And, and, and I'm just like, let me tell you about that. And she actually was having a bad day. And she's like, I don't want to. But normally, she lets me talk about the things that excite me and the things that are important to me. And we all love it when people will do that, don't we? For me, it's Star Wars and nerdy stuff. For you, it's something else. We all have the things that we like to talk about. But what Paul is painting a picture of here is those whose lives are changed, those who are the circumcision, circumcision as they enthusiastically worship, they will also boast in the proper things. And what is the proper thing? Well, um, here, here let's, let's look back at, at verse 3. What is the proper thing? Boast in Christ Jesus. Boast in Christ Jesus. Most of us, we're really excited to talk about the things we like, but we actually find it very difficult to boast about the one who has saved us. And, and this, is, this is me too. It's easier for me to talk about doctrine or to talk about Star Wars than it is to talk about salvation and Jesus. And I don't know why that is. But Paul says that when we are saved, when our focus is right, when we understand the, the power of the, the new life we've been given, we will boast in Christ Jesus. Instead of saying, let me show you my new tattoo, my new ring, my new clothes, my new car, my new house, my new job, we would walk into the room and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Now a lot of people are going to go, no thanks. And we'll be like, no, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm like that. Boasting about what he's done in our lives. Boasting about the fact that we were sinners destined for an eternity, separated from God, consumed by his wrath, and Jesus loved us so much that he lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross for us. And then rose again and chose to save people like you and me. We should boast in Christ. Here's, here's what other parts of Scripture say. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. We can look at that list of things we should not be boasting in and find that that is the topic of conversation for nearly all of what we talk about. It is to our shame as Christians that when we gather together as the church, we find it easier to talk about sports work, cars, frustrations at home than we do to boast about the goodness of Christ toward one another. It's to our shame. We should be boasting about Jesus. Paul reiterates this. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says this, so let the one who boasts, boast in his accomplishments 
and in all the things that happened to him this week. No, boast in the Lord. We should be boasting about Christ. We should be lifting him up. We should be talking about him incessantly. We should find it easy to say what he's done for us. And to be that annoying person who will do it for anyone who will listen and even the ones who don't want to listen. We will boast in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're a new creation. We're brand new people. He cut off the old things that used to define us and he gave us a new name and he gave us a new life and he gave us hope and an eternity that's sure. Why would we not boast in Jesus more readily? Paul says it's one of the three marks of this new life. The third one is confidence in Christ. Remember, as we we look back in verse 3, he says this, We are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. If we are not putting confidence in the flesh, where are we putting our confidence? In Christ. And what he means by not putting confidence in the flesh is we understand it's not about a physical circumcision. It's not about following rules or laws that we are saved. It is by the goodness of God revealed in Christ Jesus and that alone that salvation comes to us. And so when we ask, what is it that gives us hope? What is it that gives us confidence in this life? It's not our bank account. It's not our spouse. It's not our job. It's not our cars. It's not our church. It is our Jesus. It's not our good works or our mission trips. It is not how much we gave in the offering plate last year. It is Jesus and only Jesus. Now, why is this important for us? Because some of you even today are putting confidence in yourself instead of confidence in Jesus. Confidence in what you can know. Confidence in the goodness of your own actions over the confidence in the good news that comes through Christ Jesus. And how do I know this is true? It's because you still struggle with your salvation. You still struggle with believing that God could save someone like you. You think that you haven't done enough. You think that you're not good enough. You think that it couldn't be possible that he could save someone like you. And Paul says, when we're made new, we should experience this ability to be confident in Jesus that we're saved. Now, that doesn't mean a a switch flips. It means we have to to learn to, to be confident. We have to take our trust off of the things that we used to do in order to try and be good and be holy and place our trust completely on Christ Jesus. Because there are some things that are true about our salvation. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus says this, My sheep, or those who will follow me, my disciples, Christians, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, I want to say something. The, the, The truth here is that everyone who is a sheep of Christ Jesus will hear his voice. 
Now you might struggle and say, but have I heard Jesus' voice? Could I have been mistaken? Could I have been deceived? Could I have heard someone else and and thought I was saved? The very fact that you're even concerned about your own salvation means that you've heard his voice and you are one of his. People who are not saved don't care about salvation. Hear, Hear me again. People who are not saved don't even care about the idea of salvation. They are dead in their sin. They are consumed with their sinfulness. They are content in their destination. They don't care. But everyone who is genuinely concerned about whether or not they are saved, and if their salvation counts, and if they really do believe is someone who has been awoken to their death in sin and made aware of their slavery to it. And because you've been made aware and you know how to be saved and you've made that profession of faith, I can guarantee to you, you are saved. And now it's time for you to start putting confidence in the truth that you've heard his voice and he has given you eternal life. And who can take you away from him? No one. Who will take you away from him? If no one can and the Father won't, you are secure. Your salvation is sure. Put your confidence in Jesus. Stop thinking you've got to be the right kind of person in order to be saved and understand that you are saved and now he has freed you to be more like him. You're saved. The fact that you're even concerned about salvation means you're saved. The fact that you're even willing to to work out your salvation with fear and trembling means you're saved because dead people who have never been brought back to life in Christ Jesus don't even care. And we can look around the world and see a bunch of dead people and know they don't care about whether or not they're saved. Everyone who is concerned about their salvation and understands the gospel and has made a profession of faith is genuinely saved. You've heard the voice of the Good Shepherd. He knows you. You follow him. He has given you eternal life. You will never die. You cannot be snatched out of his hand, and the Father will hold on to you forever. Put your confidence in Christ. Not your church attendance, not your Bible translation, not how much you give, but in Christ Jesus and him alone. Because the truth that we must hold on to is John 19.30. Jesus says this, as he gives his life for us on the cross, he says, there's only two more things left for you to do. Attend church and be a good person, then you'll be saved. No. He says this, it is finished. The job is done. Put your confidence in Christ Stop trying to earn his love. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Instead, understand it is finished. Now you are free to begin to live a life that's pleasing to him, not out of duty or trying to earn your salvation, but instead in freedom and in a loving relationship as he wants to see you grow and be fulfilled. It is finished. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this list, he says, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing that can take away our salvation. Nothing that makes our life unsure. So be confident. Now we just saw Jesus tell us, He won't let us go from His hand. And the Father won't let us go. So if nothing in creation, and neither the Son nor the Father will release us, nothing can take us out of their hand and they won't release us, then nothing can take away their love and our salvation. It's sure. It's certain. It's without question. Hebrews 10.12 says this, but this man, who is the man that Hebrews 10.12 is talking about? You think this man? Jesus. This man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Your sin is completely paid for. Your sin is completely forgiven. The sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for every sin and you don't have to try and, and do right things to earn God's love, to, to earn your salvation. The price is paid. The sin is forgiven. The relationship is sure. Be confident in Christ. Be confident. Don't doubt. Do work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, Paul told the Philippian church and told us to do that. Be certain of your salvation. That idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I had a little bit of a thought as I was driving to church. It was snowing kind of hard. There was snow on the road. I like to slam the brakes and drive stupid. Right as soon as I get out of the driveway and see what the weather's really like. See what the, the roads are really like. Anybody else do that? I mean, it's, just, it's a weird thing. I don't know if my dad taught me to do it or if I was just a crazy teenager and I developed a habit. But yeah, you go as fast as you can and then you slam on the brakes to see if it's slick, right? And then you goose it and maybe give it a little bit of like this to see, to see if you're gonna like unhook and end up in a ditch because you wanna do it in a place where you're close to home and moderately safe, right? It's, it's, it's like working out whether or not your brakes work. You trust that they will but you're testing them in that circumstance. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is like hitting your brakes in the snow to see if, if they'll actually work under these conditions. That you, you experience from day to day this testing of your faith, this trying of your faith in order to understand, okay, Christianity, it, it works in this, uh, this, this, this um, situation. Yeah, uh, hallelujah. My, my faith is sure. My, my, you know, wow, Jesus is so faithful. God is so good to me in this moment. It is that, that working out. You, you believe it's true now. You're applying it in the moment. Applying it to a new situation, a new circumstance. But that doesn't mean you have to earn your salvation. It means your salvation is sure. Your breaks are there. But I want to see how they work in this circumstance. Your salvation, your salvation is certain, but you want to test it out and try it out in every new circumstance you encounter. You are, you are working out your salvation in every new situation. So, so Jesus says, the sacrifice is done. Earlier, Paul had told us in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. 
Not I hope this, but I am certain of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you have entered into a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, his work in your life is certain, and we know it will last. Stop doubting. Be confident in your salvation. Be confident in your Jesus. So, to kind of sum up all of the the passage, verses 1 through 3. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Take time every day to be thankful. Take time to find the good and to declare it. Beware of false teachers. Understand that there are dogs out there seeking to lead you astray and consume you. Beware of them. But then... You are the circumcision. Celebrate who you are in Christ through these three things. Enthusiastic worship, proper boasting, and confidence. Confidence in the finished work of Jesus. That you don't have to doubt your salvation even as you learn how to work it out in the differing circumstances of life. Some very specific challenges. Maybe, maybe this is being a little too specific, but I, I really want to draw this down a little bit. Enthusiastic worship. I want to encourage you this week to sing it, play it, and shout it like you mean it. To, to really join in on the songs and, and sing it like you mean it. If you're an instrumentalist, play it like you mean it. Throughout this week, shout out praise to God like you mean it. Like it, he's worthy. Like he has value to you. I want to encourage you to proper boasting this week. This is going to be hard for me. When I make a challenge, I need to try and live up to it too. To tell one person about Jesus this week. Somebody, maybe you've told them about Jesus before. This is not necessarily witnessing. Here's the gospel. But I want you to boast. I want you to boast in Christ. I want you to say somehow, somewhere, something about how good he is, about his love for you, about what you appreciate about your salvation and the Savior who bought it for you. Just, just one person this week. And if you're married, somebody other than your spouse or children, right? That's like a shortcut. Hey, baby, you know, Jesus, Jesus gave me you. No, I mean, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Hello. Um, uh, but, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody new, someone unique, someone that you don't normally talk spiritual things with. Tell one person about the goodness of Jesus this week. And then I want you to, to some of you really need to start living in confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to earn his love and earn your salvation. Stop it. Stop questioning God. When he says it's true, believe him. When he says it's simple, believe him. When he says it's forever, believe him. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to be holy enough to make God happy with you. Instead, understand when you are in Christ Jesus, you are saved. And he loves you. 
Now, should that inspire you to look more like Jesus and grow in holiness? Absolutely. But do you know how freeing it is? And I've used this example before. I have bad habits. One of them used to be leaving the toilet seat up. Right? I did not start putting the toilet seat down in order to earn my wife's love. But I loved her and started trying to put the toilet seat down more often. Now, it's a little crass, but I think you get the picture. I knew she loved me, and I know that I love her. And guess what? If I had always left the toilet seat up, she would likely still love me. But because she loves me and I love her and I'm certain in that and confident in that, I learned to start putting the toilet seat down. How does this translate to Jesus? If we were to talk about salvation, you don't do good works to make Jesus love you. Jesus loves you and your salvation is sure and you love him in return and then you learn how to do good works to please him. (laughs) If it's a toilet seat and we're talking about salvation, you don't put the toilet seat down in order to be saved. You put the toilet seat down because you know you're saved and the relationship is sure and you want to please the one you love. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, both his love and the salvation that comes from him, they're given freely you hear that? Freely. What does free mean? It means free. It means no strings attached. They are given freely and they will not be taken away. And hopefully what that does is it inspires you. It frees you to stop looking at the things and the, 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 the ways that he longs to see us grow in as tasks and drudgery, but instead as freedom and acts of love. So this week... Worship enthusiastically, boast properly, and have confidence in your salvation. For the truth is, for all of us, this life is about Jesus and living for him. And it even gets better when we die. So it's worth pursuing, and it's worth doing, and it's worth living out. Let's pray together and then we'll close with our last song in which we will worship enthusiastically, boast properly, and be certain of our salvation in Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you for the fact that you have given us so much truth in your word. You've helped us to understand this life and these ways. Guard us against false teachers. Help us to rejoice. And as we understand the power of our salvation, May we learn how to worship wholeheartedly, boast in you regularly, and be confident in our salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for granting us this privilege of being yours. Help us to look more like you in every day. Today we worship you, we boast in you, and we find our confidence in you alone. Thank you. Thank you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.
how deep Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. by the Most High King, the circumcision. It's what we are. May we worship with enthusiasm, boast to just one person this week, and trust that we genuinely are saved and put our confidence in Christ alone. If you're struggling with assurance of your salvation, you need to talk. I'm always available. If, if you don't want to talk right now, but you'd like some resources, there's a podcast called Just Thinking. Episode number 99, Assurance of Salvation, is a great episode if you are struggling. And you do podcasts. It's about two and a half hours. Two guys just going through scripture and ideas about why and how we can be assured of our salvation in Christ Jesus. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd certainly be happy to let you know, show you where it is in Spotify or give you their website. So it's the Just Thinking Podcast, Assurance of Salvation. 
God bless you all this week.